welcome to On the Shelf, a program that is dedicated to helping you get your products on the shelf of a major retailer. I'm your host, Tim Bush, and today we're talking about the sex of your product. You heard me right, we're talking about sex. You didn't know your product had a sex, did you? Well, it does, and it matters. Whether it's male, female, gender neutral, it matters in the scope of how you're going to get it in front of the people that really need to see it. Now, Tracy Hazard is back from Has Designs, and we're having a great discussion on your product, what sex it is, and how it's going to help you get on the shelf. Here we go. Hey, Tracy, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for having me again. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, uh, we have gotten a lot of great feedback uh, from the previous show that we did, and, uh, and, and hopefully it was helpful for some of your listeners as well. It was. You know, I mean, it's just these topics are so underserved in terms of information that's out there. Okay. Well, I know that um, that a couple of things that you said on the last podcast has stirred some interest in not only my listeners, but so some of my clients as well. And that was when you were talking about um, having some specific uh, or the fact that uh, going towards women is really specifically in your wheelhouse. I know I'm, no, I'm not saying that right, but actually taking your product as it is and, and tweaking it toward women. And so I thought that we we're going to talk a little bit about that today. I know, um, uh, and I think that that's a great topic. Can you, can you kind of tee it up for us and, and let us know? What we're... I think this topic really scares everyone. I mean, the idea of, of, uh, giving your, uh, targeting your audience to women is scary for a lot of people. I mean, it, 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 men and women alike, it's not, it it has nothing to do with that. And, you know, the tendency is to just say, oh, we have to have pink or we have to have it smaller or all of that. And, and that's just not a solution. We say pinking and shrink, pinking and shrinking is not a solution. And it's just really the idea that most companies and most products default to gender say that they are gender neutral, are, is actually by default masculine. They don't realize it, but that's what happens. And it doesn't resonate really well with women. And on top of that, when you're selling online, it doesn't resonate really well because typically it's like black or it's, you know, it's a little less interesting and exciting in terms of its color and textures and finishes. That's, a, uh, that's interesting. I'm glad that you have a little phrase for it, pinking and shrinking. That's, uh, that's catchy. I'm sure I'll, re- I'm sure I'll remember that. <laughs> but, it makes perf- but it makes perfect sense. I know that um, recently I have a client that sells coffee, and somebody had mentioned to us online that uh, it was very male-focused, and she was uh, commenting on that because she really liked it. And so I think... Um, it's it's interesting because you don't mean to do it. You don't you know you're not really thinking. You're thinking, hey, coffee's for everybody. Women drink coffee, uh, but what you have and what you're putting out in the internet um, could be directed more at at males. So how do you how do you fix that? Well, you know, it happens all the time, I and mean, it's just it, it, part of it is the design environment that I, we've discovered over time. Um, you know, Tom and I, my partner is my husband, and um, we've been working together on and off for over twenty years. And when we go into a client, typically, I'm usually the only woman there. And so, when you have very few women in the design and development process, you don't have a perspective to bounce off it. And a lot of times, even when you have women in the design process or in the, the, whether it's the packaging design or the other areas of marketing and influence to the design and development of product, they don't always speak up. So it's really easy for Tom and I to speak up to each other because being a little sexist for us, is not a big deal, but in a, you know, politically correct environment, that's difficult. Okay. Well, so is it a, it, 
is it enough just to have a, a female perspective? Because uh, from what I'm I think it's enough to listen. <laughs> okay. Because what I hear you say, because <laughs> what I hear you saying though, is not that you're not asking people to take their current product and bend it all the way towards women, right? You're actually saying there are some tweaks that you can make to it that will appeal to women as well as men. Exactly. I'm going to use an example. So we have a office chair that's we've been selling for over four years at Costco. And um, the office chair, when we came into the company to do that, I mean, you can just see the sea of office chairs. You picture this black leather dominant kind of look. Uh, maybe you even think in the back of your mind the Aeron chair with its big black stripey, you know, skeletal structure. So you kind of have this idea that most office chairs are by default male. It's not that hard to envision that. And occasionally you'll see a white leather chair, and that's their token female chair. I mean, and, and they call it that. That's really the scary part about the whole. <laughs> they call that the, the chair for women. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's really, it's really awful. And so anyway, so when we came in to design office chairs for our client, um, who was out of San Diego, we, um, we came in and it was easy to make some changes and we just did it in subtle ways. We call it being covertly female. So it's female so that it resonates with women buyers or in this case consumers and it, but it doesn't offend men. So it doesn't feel like they just bought something pink, right? And right. that's why that we call that pinking and shrinking because it wouldn't be they wouldn't be able to use it or they wouldn't want to use it. So what we did in the, in this particular chair was we were very cognizant of the sizing of men and women, and so most office chairs were designed for a six foot male, which I mean the average woman is not even close to that height. That's average. The average is like five foot five and a half or something like that. And so um, so obviously the chair didn't, most chairs in the market didn't even fit them. So we gave it a bigger range of, of height adjustment. We gave it a bigger depth range. Um, we created a slightly off, uh, off uh, silver color. So it wasn't like chrome and, and black. It was this warm silver color and black. And it, that chair sells so well that they've carried it four years in a row. And the reason is, is because it has that resonant to both sexes at the same time. That's, that's so interesting because does that mean that if you had a product and, and so for people that have a product that they want to sell the same product to men and, and to women, and maybe in the past they would have done, uh, okay, well, this is the female version of this product and this is the male version of this product. And we have to make two SKUs and we don't know which one is going to sell better. Kind of normalizing it together and not offending either gender. Is that more cost effective or do people still do primarily products for one or the other? I think you have to think about it from your perspective and your product. So in, in your particular category, the reality is, is if more women are influencing or buying in your category, then by making it default masculine, which is what you'll do. I mean, that, 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 that's the common choice that gets made because it's the safe choice. When you do that, you actually hurt your sales. So it's not a matter of, I should be carrying two SKUs, which is not a bad idea if you can't figure out a way to make it covertly feminine in one SKU. You know, carrying two SKUs, they don't eat the volume of each other. It just increases your sales. It, we consider that most people don't, most buyers in the retail market don't really realize how great incremental sales can be um, from having a SKU that is slightly more feminine and a SKU that is slightly more masculine. We've actually done it and we know it works. Okay. So you're actually saying that instead of having one that appeals to both, uh, you can actually grab more sales by having one that leans more towards male and one that leads more towards female. Am I understanding that right? 
if you can afford it, yes. If you can afford it in your SKUs. If not, then the best goal is to not default to the masculine, to really work hard on the design and development, whether it's the finishes, the features, whatever that are that whatever they are that can make it a little more, uh, make sure that it accommodates women. So let me go out on a limb here and say that for most people that are putting products out there, to tell them to not make it too masculine. It's kind of like telling a caveman not to eat meat, right? They're, <laughs> they're, they're not really going to understand. First of all, they might not even know that it is towards male. How, how would they actually self, you know, without calling you up on the phone and saying, Tracy, look at my product. What do you think? How, yeah. You know, you know, how can they actually self look at that? And what are some things that they could look for to say, Hey, is this leaning well towards male and you're losing an entire demographic? So first off, get out of your circle of friends. So get out of the circle of your company and get out there and show your product to people. Show your product to women. See what they say. And you've got to show it in context. You know, when you were uh, talking uh, with your uh, packaging designer, Ellen, and she was talking about how they, uh, they were talking about how they um, put it on the shelf and just actually drop it in in Photoshop and look at it. Right, right. That, that's a great way to do it. Just, you know, show it on the shelf or show it wherever it's going to go so that they can see it compared to the other items out there. So another office chair example that we have was that we had done one that was a espresso brown color at Staples. And because there were so many chairs on the floor that were black, this one stood out in such a great way, even though it was just barely off black. And to be honest with you, most people couldn't tell the difference between it if they were side by side, you know, until they were side by side. If I handed them a swatch of the leather, they'd go, oh, that's black. It's not. It's espresso brown. But when you see it in that context, all of a sudden it stands out and you're attracted to it. Remember, that's what the packaging does. Product does the same thing when it has the right features. You get attracted to it. And so you need to see who's attracted to it from, from your group of women that you're testing it out. And it can't be your friends and family because they're all going to tell you what you want to hear. I'm so, I'm so glad that you said that because I think I've talked about this multiple times. But uh, hey, just because your buddies tell you that your product is awesome doesn't mean that your product is awesome. You, <laughs> yes. You know, you really have to get out. And, but I'm glad that you said get out and actually show it to some women. So, I mean, if there's a takeaway from this little part right here. I would say the takeaway is take your product in its packaging, take it out, and show it to some women that you don't know and ask them what they think. Uh, and, and I have a little tip on that that oh, okay. I think might be really useful to your audience. So a lot of people are like, oh, I have to hire a big market research firm and it's so expensive and, you know, that whole thing. My big tip is to just take a little bit of money and go to a local women's group. There's lots of women entrepreneur groups. There's also, you know, um, local charitable groups. We have we have a group out here called the Tinkerbell Guild, which is raising funds for child, childhood cancer and the, and the uh, child, Children's Hospital of Orange County. So, you know, go to one of their meetings and offer to sponsor it, like, you know, buy the food for the meeting or, you know, just donate something, make a donation, and ask them if they'll give you 15 minutes to just ask them a few questions about their product. Wow, that's a, fanta that's a fantastic idea. Uh, you're doing something charitable, and you're getting your answer from the right target audience, as long as they're the right age demographic and what you want. Perfect. Let me ask you a question, and I don't, I don't know whether you can actually answer this um, in a way that will be helpful. I guess I'll just let you answer it. But how do you, how do you stop from being super defensive when people just pick apart your product? Oh, that is a really good question. You know, the thing is, is that over the years, I've learned to not treat my designs as babies. 
they're not my babies. I will have another one tomorrow. And that's just, you know, overwhelming. I've, uh, if, in, if I had done that, I would have birthed thousands of designs and babies by now, you know? So it's just, you have to really think my idea tomorrow will be just as good as my idea today. And in fact, this criticism is going to make it better tomorrow. So you have to start to remove yourself from that. And it's really hard for inventors. I know they get really caught up in that. And, uh, but I've learned that you have to do it because at the end of the day, it, it can't succeed if you are not open-minded about that, what people are saying to you, what, when they say no, when they are, when they are saying it, it's not right. Right. And, you know, of course I don't, uh, I, I don't want to quote a reality show, but again and again, I, I watch Shark Tank and I see people that are taking advice from people that really know what they're talking about and they reject it. And, uh, and they say, no, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do that or I'm not going to go that way or, or, uh, you know, I'm not going to listen to what you're saying. And it's funny to me, um, because, uh, and, and I know it's a reality show, and I know part of the reason that they're on there is to get some press for their, for their product. But in the end, there are people that simply get good advice from people who know what they're talking about and reject it based on the fact that they're too close. Yeah, I mean, you have to div- divorce emotion from the process. And, 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 and you have to, you know, really consciously think about that and say, okay, I'm emotionally reacting to this. They're offending me. You know, my house is ugly. Like, you know, that's why realtors don't want you in their house when, when they're showing it, because people are going to say nasty things about your house. And so you're gonna be like, I don't want to sell to them. So that you get in the way. It's the same thing with your product. So you have to divorce that emotion from it. And you have to consciously try to, to push it down so that you're really hearing what they're saying about your product. And sometimes they're wrong. Like I actually find very frequently on Shark Tank, they're wrong. Um, and only because they maybe don't understand the market, but you have to, um, look at it from the perspective that, uh, I need to wait on this. I hear this advice. I'm going to take it. I'm going to wait and see how it resonates with me in five days, in two weeks. And if it's still nagging at me that this might really be wrong, then I, then I have to consider it and I have to do something about it. Yeah. I think that, I think that that's good advice. I'm glad we're actually talking about the subject. You know, at TLB, we have a service uh, that's called product evaluation. And the whole reason that we brought this service, every product that we work with, we rate from a scale of zero to five, you know, five being the best and zero being disaster uh, or, right. or not disaster, but needing a lot of help. And, uh, and, and the whole idea behind evaluating these products is, is uh, because I've been dealing with buyers for so long, I kind of put myself in a buyer perspective and I evaluate the products and my team evaluates them. Uh, over a course of eight different categories. And um, I always tee it up with my clients and tell them what you're going to get back is a very dispassionate, non-emotional view of your product from a buyer uh, who is looking at your product along with, you know, 500 other products. And so be ready to hear that information and understand that information and, and take it to heart. And uh, I do believe it's one of the hardest thing an, an inventor will ever go through is placing their product on the altar of consumerism and getting that feedback. Um, oh, it is really hard. And, but the thing is, is that that's not even, you know, the buyer is one level and the buyer is, is acting on behalf of her, his or her consumers. And those consumers have, you know, 10, 15 seconds as they walk by your product to make a decision. So they are in a sense devoid of emotion as well, but there's not enough time to get to know, like, and trust you and your products. Right. I mean, building a brand takes a long, long time. And if you're new to this, it, it really has to be treated in a much more, as you put it, dispassionate way. 
Well, when you just said that building a brand takes time, um, and I know that this might be a tangent, but uh, it's your fault. You brought it up. <laughs> um, it comes up a lot in what I do because, you know, everybody, once they get to that end point where they've gone through the, the birthing part and, and, oh, my gosh, it's been so difficult. I have my product right here. People are going to take it in with open arms. They don't understand that first you have to build the brand. You have to get the brand out there. People have to know it. And then you have to go through and, and you know, you have to pay your dues and get it online and build some excitement. And that all takes time. There's no real shortcuts to it. Right. There are no shortcuts. I mean, it, it just, it just takes the amount of time that it does. I mean, it, it's one of those things where you can't force a relationship. I mean, you can't force an intimacy between two people. It just doesn't work like that. It has to happen over time. It's, it's the way it, the process works. Now you can accelerate it by being really good at resonating with them, which is why you want to have good design, good packaging. You want to have all of those things because you don't want to have objections in the process. Exactly right. And, and so one of the things, you know, to, to tie back into what we we're talking about earlier is if you have both genders in mind when you start and you're okay with not dissecting and, and keeping one away and just trying to sell to one, you're going to be, uh, your process is going to be shortened, right? It's going to be, um, ex or accelerated uh, as you put it, if you're talking to both people rather than just one. Exactly. Because, you know, even if it's a product that is for men, women are the uh, predominant ones who shop for it. That's what happens. I, I always tell, make the joke about it that say, um, you know, the, the predominant uh, buyer of women, uh, who are the predominant buyers of men's underwear? And most people will go, oh, well, men, of course. But that's not true. It's women. And if it's not women, it's you considering being seen in those underwear by women. So they are influencing that, that choice that is being made all along the way. That's why most of the advertisements are actually geared to women on men's underwear. So, I mean, you think about the men that are chosen there, they probably wouldn't be that guy's choice. You know, it doesn't look like him, doesn't resonate with him, but it's always a guy who resonates with men and women who's wearing the underwear. And so that, that's the kind of thought process you have. Hey, big boxers. Just a quick announcement from TLB Consulting. Are you looking to scale your business this year? Are you looking to get your products on the shelf of a retailer this year? Well, guess what? Booking a coaching call with me has never been easier. I know based on the past 10 years of working with clients that it can be difficult to be a solopreneur. It can be difficult to scale your business into territory that you've never been to. That's why I have opened up more slots this year than I've ever done before. One of my goals this year is to work with more clients, more solopreneurs, more big boxers looking to get their products into retail than ever before. I wanna work directly with you and share my experiences over the last 25 years of getting products into retail. I wanna share those experiences with you I want to talk to you from a place of somebody who's been there and I want to help you get to where I've gone. Like I said, it's never been easier. All you have to do is go to tlbconsulting.com, click on consulting, and then choose the time or the bundle that you want and get it scheduled. Let's kick off 2020 with a bang. Let's get you the information that you need. I'm looking forward to meeting you. So 
we have uh, five steps we go through when we start when we call bridging the gender gap. So when we gender blend a design, and that's when we try to make it covertly female. And the first one is that communication that you're expressing and it comes across in the package and the advertising and what you say on, on uh, social media is just as critical. You have to be very careful about the tone that you use. Right. If the tone is more male than, than female. Uh, by, by the way, sorry, I was completely stuck trying to remember the last time I actually bought my own underwear. <laughs> See? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I, honestly, uh, I, I honestly can't uh, think, think of a time. But I do understand what you mean by... You know, the underwear just show, uh, I think, I think my wife even takes that out of the package and just shows up in my drawer, but, um, you know, ha- <laughs> yes, had I actually, uncommon. <laughs> yeah, had I actually looked at the, um, you know, the Marky Mark-esque uh, person on the front package thinking, yeah, yeah, not so much am I going to look like that in this pair of underwear, but, uh. Typically now it's Beckham. I think Marky Mark is a little, is, is for us older people, but. <laughs> right, I said Marky Mark-esque. Now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, Beckham plays really well with men and women because he's such a family man. Right, right. So, so you said the first thing. You said you have five steps. I don't know if you were going to go through all five. I was, I was going to. I interrupted you. I'm sorry. Sure. Yeah. So the first one is about you know really paying attention and minding your communication gap. So making sure that you don't have a gender gap in the way that you communicate. Um, the second one is that it, you know is that. A, you kind of have to go for a little bit of a sexist approach and go to an all women's group because you have, have had such a predominance of male influence. I mean, it just naturally happens in the, in the process for most people and most companies. And so it's time to, to do the opposite of that and really go for a women only group. You don't want to have a mixed gender group when you're doing market research here. This is where we found it falls apart because a lot of times women won't say what they think. Right. It's based on, you know, based on, well, I don't want to say the wrong thing or I don't want to look dumb in front of all these people or whatever. I don't want to look like a girl. And this is the same problem in the boardroom or in the in the design room when you have a a team of marketing, a team of marketing people or a team of designers. And, you know, the last thing I want to point out is that I'm a mom and I, you know, I'm a I'm, I'm a girl and I might take maternity leave. The last thing I want to do is point that out to my boss. So I'm not going to bring up the things that actually might make the product better. And so it's just inherent in the process that you have to get out of that to get your answers. And, um, so yeah, so, you know, a girl's club, you got to kind of go for the girl's club there. Um, and then really when you're, when you're thinking about, um, the, the third step we call battle for the sexes instead of with the sexes or against the sexes. Right. So we, we talk about it, that it can't, that that environment is so critical and you have to create an open dialogue somehow in your process or with the team that you assemble that allows them to actually be open and honest and battle for, you know, and battle for the the features that are right for women and for men. Okay. I mean, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go, go ahead. What were you going to say? No, I was just going to tee you up for whatever was next. So, (laughs) Oh, uh, so yeah. And then, you know, you really want to win what we call covertly female. I mean, don't go for the pink and shrink. Don't go for the easy girly thing to do, uh, unless it really is a girl's product. I mean, tween products that are uh, tween girl products need to be tween girl products. I mean, go for it when it's right, but you know, go for the, the features that, you know, you know, resonate. Um, you know, a chair needs to be smaller. You know, your finish shouldn't be black and chrome. You know, you, you kind of know that already, um, because you just, uh, you've already heard this feedback. And so go for the, the, the simple fixes that are in fit in finish and color and feature. And because, you know, just designing a whole product from scratch for women or, or, you know, doing that two that two product thing may just be too difficult. 
Okay. So add some of those features to the product you have. And then, you know, I, the last one is really, you know, you got to fight for those details. I, women are very detail oriented and, you know, I'm saying that and I mean, you're going to get a lot of backlash because they hate it when I generalize about women, but women are very detail oriented. Our eyes are genetically, our brains are genetically encoded to be able to discern small details, you know, going way back. And this is, you know, sort of an, a tangent, but back to hunter gatherer society, which we are genetically encoded for our women's were typically the gatherers. And so we had to know what, what was dangerous, what was good to eat, you know, on a minute level. So we are actually still, our brains are still adjusted for that kind of detail oriented thinking. And so when we don't see the details, if they're missing, it it doesn't resonate. Interesting. Well, I I think it's interesting that we were able to work two caveman references into this (laughs) one into this one podcast. So, exactly, exactly. So not to disappoint. Now, I have to say that uh, I think probably I'm, we're going to end up with a bunch of listeners that are now staring at their product saying... Flipping out, yeah. Yeah, saying, <laughs> who, who is this really for? And so they can take it to a women's group and they can get some feedback on it. Yeah. But what do they really do with that? I mean, what do they really do with that feedback that they get? Because I think that you know, part of the problem is they think they're finished. Now they think they're finished and they're going to take it to a group of women who might say, uh-uh, this is not, uh, yeah, no, I'm not liking it. And, uh, and so what do they do then? I think the most important thing that they can do that's the, that's honestly the simpler thing is really listen to what they're not saying. So if women are not mentioning the fact that, you know, that, uh, you know, in our office, for example, they aren't mentioning that the arms flip up and how great that is for them to scooch in close to their desk, then they're missing the feature. And that feature that was supposed to resonate with them isn't being communicated. So you can fix the communication things. Okay. So, so if there's certain things that maybe you can't uh, fix with your packaging because you just got a delivery of 5,000 units and you're going to yeah. have to now work through those, you can fix some of those things on social, right? Uh, exactly. You can adjust them there. You can express your features in other places and, and change your message. And that's really the critically important part because at the end of the day, you know, for that purpose, they're going to come and seek it out. All right. I'm going to put you on the spot here since we're talking about social and uh, and ask you, what are three to five words or phrases that somebody can put into their social messaging that resonates with women? That is really an interesting question. And hmm, I think that you just have to think about, it's really less about the words and it's more about the tone. So you can really discern a tone that's kind of aggressive or um, you need to buy this kind of kind of message, you need this, is not something that us women want to hear. You have to tell us why. I want to hear why. I want to hear why this is so great. I want to hear why you believe I should consider it. So when you think about your why really hard, then you think about the story behind it. And I'm willing to listen to that story. And when that story resonates with me, I'm willing to go further. Okay. Well, so, all right, great. Um, so let's, let's say I have a client that sells a product called craft tea and it's the only electric tea and chai maker on the market. And he, he created, he's an engineer. He created it simply based on his wife saying, I'm tired of my milk bubbling over and burning when I'm making chai on the stove. I want you to make me a machine that that won't ever happen again. And so he did. Um, right. and so when he's out, when it's out there, 
what would a woman want to know about that machine? Would she want to know, would she want to have a feeling of drinking the chai or would she actually want to know that, hey, if you're making your own chai, it won't bubble over? You know, that, that bubble over, see right there. And then unless you have that problem, it's not going to resonate with you. And that's where I think a lot of inventors get caught up. They've solved a problem that they think everyone has. Right. And that's a, that's not a big enough audience for your product. So you have to say, you know, basically, I mean, I like the idea. I mean, Tom is a huge drinker of chai tea and I was, you know, thinking in my mind, craft tea and, oh, I like the, I like the name that's going in the right direction. And then you would talk about bubble over and you've like, oh, that's technical. And in my, in my mind, I'm like, oh, it just has, you know, there's probably like a hundred products on the market and this just has one up feature. Like that's what it it says to me. All of a sudden I'm like, oh, it's not so special anymore. (laughs) When you hit there. So you want to hit for the emotion, like how you drink tea, why this makes chai tea taste so much better. You know, that's where you want to go for that, uh, that emotional connection to why this is so good to use, not what it is so good to use about it. Right. So you want, you want to get the emotion involved in it. Yeah. And I, we always talk about it in like layers. So you got to hit the story first. It's the way you, I mean, it's not just with women, it works with men too. So it's, you know, that's not a a sexist thing, but you want to hit your story first. You want to hit, you know, what's your inspiration? What's making this really great? Uh, You know, your why, and then you head to layered details. And when you get to like your specs and features that you've already, you know, people are already chosen your product, really. They're just like going to, you know, cross all the T's and dot all the I's there and make sure it's perfect. Good advice. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully they'll be listening and, and, uh, and they can and take that advice and we'll definitely use that uh, in, our, in our social for them. So yeah, one little thing more is don't put a diagram. Don't put and, don't Yeah, put diagrams diagram. and flowcharts and other things. I, I, it's, and it's not just a, a female thing. I think, you know, unless your product is super techie and really focused on just that kind of engineering mindset or something, most people are like, oh, that means it's complicated. It's just a message of complication. And, and women are busy. So that you have to think about that. They're busy. And when they're shopping, they're shopping for 10 people at one time. I mean, that, that's always in their mind. I'm shopping for my kids. I'm shopping for my mom. I'm shopping for my, my uh, husband. I'm shopping for all these people at once in my brain. So these things have to resonate fast. It's so interesting that you that you say that and put it in that way because I think that their entire approach so far has been kind of off the mark, actually, now listening to you because their unit could not be more simple. Uh, I mean, it really, uh, as far as making custom tea and chai, it is as simple and easy as, as it gets and it comes out great every time. But I don't think that that's how they're putting it across. I think that you're right. I think not not to say that they're putting out a diagram because they're definitely not doing that. Um, yeah. But I think that their message is more around the technical side of it, him being an engineer and all, uh, than the side of it, which is, listen, in the past, you might have thought maybe making chai or even making custom teas was, was difficult. It's not anymore. Something like, you know. Exactly. Well, think about, just think about what Keurig has done, or even I think it's the, the new one um, that has, uh, that has um, uh, oh, Danny DeVito and uh, George Clooney doing ads for them. I mean, you're really getting to a place at which, you know, you're telling this like experience using the machine. Right. 
So it's saving you time, but you're still getting the same quality you get from going into your, you know, fine, you know, in this case, a fine tea shop, you'd get, be getting the same quality at home. Right. Well, any anytime you can get GC uh, doing a commercial for your product, yeah. right? You're you're gonna you're gonna do but okay. Perfect. Uh, yeah. Perfect gender blend uh, actor to pick. Yeah. Resonates <laughs> with men and women. They both love him. So. Right. He rides Harley's and he's good looking. So. Yeah. Um, you and even now that he's married, he hasn't lost his uh, he hasn't lost his edge. So. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, hey, listen. Final thoughts on yeah. on the subject of uh, of tweaking and making your product uh, appeal to both sexes. I think it's just too easy to dismiss it and say this isn't a big enough market. And I, I have to say this all the time. Like I have heard this over 20 years. I can't tell you how many times it's been that many. And they'll say, oh, but that makes it so niche. Uh, if women is your niche market, then you should be grateful um, because that is a huge part of the market. 86% of women uh, buy or influence the purchases of products in almost every product category at retail. I mean, 86% is a huge niche. So that's a great place to be. And it's so it's worth it. And we have discovered that at minimum, any product that we put in that has that sort of covertly female uh, features or just style, we found does 20% better than the, than the default gender neutral product. So 20% increase in sales is a big reason to make a few changes. Right. I mean, and so uh, there, I mean, there you really have it. It's like saying, um, Hey, if the millennials is your niche market, you're going to do okay. If the baby boomers are your niche market, you're probably doing fine. Um, if women are your niche market, you're out there killing it. <laughs> right. And, uh, um, so, um, don't dismiss this podcast and say, Oh, I think that my product hits both go out and actually find out, do what Tracy suggested um, find a women's group, do a little donation, uh, do a little good in the community and get something in return and find out where your product is and how it's resonating with a huge uh, buying um, influencer out there. So Tracy, where do people need to be in the process to really utilize your, uh, your and Tom services? Oh, well, thanks for asking that. Um, actually, we don't... Um... We like to get involved as early as possible, but we tend to get involved after everything's gone wrong for people. <laughs> That's, that seems to be our client-based niche. Like They've failed. They got a product on the market, and they don't know what to do next. They're trying to defend their, themselves on the shelf with the buyer. So, I mean, it, it, it just goes along in that process. Um, but we are happy to help anyone at any stage in some way, shape, or form. We try to do it you know, for a low cost for inventors through just information, like being on your podcast. And, uh, and then also, you know, we do consulting. So. Okay. And so if they wanted to, um, whether, whether they're in the, Oh my gosh, I'm in big trouble stage or they're in the planning stage and they just heard this and they're thinking, Oh my gosh, I'm so glad that I heard this before I, um, place that, that order. Uh, where do they get a hold of you? Uh, you can get a hold of me anywhere on social media at has design at H A Z Z D E S I G N. And then has is our website. You can find me there. Oh, perfect. And you guys have a very successful podcast yourself, right? You want to plug that a little bit? <laughs> sure we do. It's, it's kind of a niche podcast, but a growing niche It's called WTFFF and it's all about 3d printing and it's for novices. So don't get scared off by the technical kind of topic. Uh, it's for novices, anyone who's thinking about 3D printing. And many of your uh, your inventors and, and clients might be thinking about this because 3D printing is a great low-cost way to prototype. 
And getting lower and lower cost all the time, right? So it uh, is. Um, you can make a first run. I mean, you can make up to uh, one thousand to five thousand pieces if it's just the right product, and uh, and really test something out without tooling. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. So um, so check them out. Uh, you can find them on iTunes. Uh, yep. WTFFF. And uh, as always, uh, uh, if you like the podcast, if you are interested in what we're talking about, hit the subscribe button and share it with your friends. You can reach out to us on Twitter at TLB Consult and on Facebook at TLB Consulting. And of course, uh, you can reach out to us in person on our website at www.tlbconsulting.com. We, um, of course, uh, are us along with uh, Tracy and her husband, Tom, we wish everybody a happy and healthy holiday season and a uh, very happy new year. And uh, we're so glad that uh, you were able to listen today and hope you got something out of it. And, but until next time, we'll see your products on the shelf. Mm-hmm.